The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it you wave a flag celebrate <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. All right, guys, welcome back to the Agora podcast. As you guys know, it's your home for agorism, localism, anti-authoritarian concepts, and radical decentralization in whatever order you'd like. Um, We're back with another panel discussion. So um, it's not happening anywhere in particular. We don't have a conference, but through the uh, wonders of of modern technology and and, and social networking, we have the ability to get a panel together. Um, This time, uh, I let SEC intro the topic, but we, we've got a whole bunch of our friends together to talk about uh, addiction and recovery. Uh, SEC, how are you doing today? I'm doing spectacular. Um, just got done with uh, having a kid, my daughter's second birthday party today, so that was fucking awesome. Oh, happy birthday to her. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So today we're doing a panel on addiction and recovery so if this is a sort of a sensitive topic for you just forewarning there might be some um sort of uncomfortable conversations to be had so you were warned uh our panel consists of today uh bj bj woods longtime friend of the show uh drew cook bj uh, woods sorry drew cook from the sober caucus gonzo from Escape to Autonomy, Jeremiah Harding from Agris Nexus, Ray from the Let's Make Some Shit podcast, and Tet from Down the Road from Me. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, uh, happy to have you all aboard. Hey, thanks for uh, having me. Let's start with... Um, let's uh, start... We'll just start how it shows up on my screen. So... Um, BJ, why don't you introduce yourself and just, um, if you have any experience with, you know, addiction and recovery, uh, please feel free to tell your story. Sure. Hey guys. Um, can everybody hear me? Okay. Yep. Sure. Can. 
Great. So I'm BJ. Um, I don't know how common this is amongst the rest of our panel members, but my um, addiction that I had struggled with and still sometimes do struggle with is uh, addiction to food. But I don't want to say food. I want to say trash because the stuff that I was addicted to was in no way is healthy. And yet I would grew up in an era where a lot of us in my generation and um, older generations were told over and over again that this was the way that uh, the medical professionals, uh, health and nutrition experts, and the government itself told us how to eat. And um, the lower fat, the better, the less meat, eggs, butter, cheese, the better. And this is my friends, how you get sick by following these guidelines. And of course, I'm a pretty newly recovered status. I'd say about four years now, five years. And, you know, I'm, I'm still learning stuff every day. And there's a lot of stuff that you think you should trust uh, when you're growing up in a society of indoctrination, misinformation, disinformation. And so this is how you get addicted to, to trash, by trusting uh, the so-called experts uh, seeing your dad have two heart attacks, a quadruple bypass, and have their the entire household say, uh, be told, you know, can't eat eggs, can't eat red meat, can't do this, can't do that. We weren't ever a big red meat and eggs family anyway. You know, we had a variety of food, but it's very easy to get addicted to the stuff that they market as quote-unquote healthy. And that was my downfall health-wise, behavior-wise, addiction-wise. And my recovery, I'm still recovering. Um, basically, I would say I'm 90% carnivore. I spent a few years trying to rid myself of processed food. Most of it is full of starch and sugar. And not that there's anything wrong with starch and sugar, but if you live in the USA and you were born anytime after 1970-something, chances are pretty high that your body has already got Roundup in the DNA and a lot of other things. And you're already predisposed to diabetes, heart disease, a lot of things that even if you are working hard to avoid and you quote unquote eat healthy, you might still wind up sick and fat. And so that's where I'm at. And that's basically the gist of my path to liberty as well. Uh, opening my eyes to seeing what I'm being told versus what they're telling us not to do and figuring all that out on my own. So. Yeah. Right on. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Drew, you're up next. Drew cook, uh, from the sober caucus. Uh, if you would introduce yourself to the audience and, uh, give it, give us your story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, Drew cook. Uh, really glad to be, be on here with all these amazing people. Um, Man, I, I just, I was uh, a weird fucking kid, <laughs> right? Like, I started out life, uh, I had zero social skills. Um, there was a lot of uh, a lot of abuse in my home. Um, you know, I'd go to school and just, I was fucking weird, man. I was the weird kid nobody wanted to talk to, and so I was an outcast there. I just never could quite find my place, and... Uh, and I remember the first time, um, so that like when I was growing up, that was like the, the Johnny B good medication days, you know, the Ritalin and 
Vivance and whatever else. And so my parents, you know, saw me not functioning at all uh, or having friends or any of that and getting in trouble at school. And so they started sending me to these head doctors and they started filling me full of amphetamines. And uh, I learned real early on that uh, I liked that shit. You know, um, that was that was the thing um, that I, I remember having this thought that, you know, I can I can take something outside of me to fix something inside of me. Um, and I, I kind of chased that, you know, um, when I turned 18, I left the parents' house and, and kind of just went and found my own way and man, just partied for a lot of years. And at first it was like fun, man. Um, it was fun until it wasn't, you know, like, I, I can't tell you like when that moment happened, when it shifted from, you know, weekend warrior to just like an everyday thing to just, doing enough to just barely scrape by, but, you know, I found myself there and where, you know, from the outset, I, I could easily say, well, my addiction was this substance or that substance at the end, it was just oblivion is what I was after. Like, I, I just didn't want to feel, didn't want to, you know, have to deal with reality. Didn't want to have to face anything in, in, in life cause I would fail is what I thought, you know, time and again. And, um, through a lot of bumps and bruises and scrapes, I, I started winding up in various detox facilities and inpatient treatment centers. And, um, you know, I, I started my recovery journey through 12 step programs and, and learned a lot, learned a lot about myself. I mean, man, when I came in, I, I was reduced to the animal level. Like I didn't even know how to have basic personal hygiene. Like I, I knew nothing about being a responsible adult human. And, um, these people like did not only they, did they not judge me for that, but they like showed me how to correct some of those things. They took the time to like, make me feel heard, make me feel loved and like just lifted me up, man. And, um, that's really where, where it started for me, you know, is, is in the rooms. Um, over time, I've kind of uh, gravit, you know, gotten away from going to meetings. And now I have a, uh, there's a harm reduction organization that we started up out here in Oklahoma City. And that's, and that's recovery for me, you know, is like having those interactions out here on the streets, meeting people, um, getting to talk to them about like, hey, I've been there, I've done that, I understand, you know, and Hell, just being somebody that doesn't judge them or criticize them, you know, being able to be that person for them that somebody was for me once upon a time. And uh, that's an extremely condensed, you know, nutshell version of, of what brought me to where I'm at today. But yeah, thanks, man. Hey, y'all, it's Resonance. Um, yeah, from the Let's Make Some Shit podcast. Uh, here telling you guys about some of the new stuff I've got at Appalachian Apothecary. Right now I have a remineralizing tooth powder that's made with calcium carbonate and bentonite clay. Um, I have a four ounce jars that I'm selling for 10 bucks a piece. And then uh, also I've done a couple of body butters. Um, they're whipped tallow body butters. One's infused with arnica and the other one is a very potent pain reliever. And if you'd like more info on that, you can find me at radical underscore resonance on Telegram or at Mother of Chaos, XAOS on Twitter. Um, I'd be happy to make tinctures for you regarding like any medical condition that you have. 
So please reach out to me and let's see if we can get you some herbal remedies. Yeah, thanks, man. For, appreciate you sharing. Uh, Gonzo, you're up next. Oh, man. Um, I have a lot of echoes of what Drew just said. Um, I, I guess the getting into drugs started at, I was probably eight and uh, <clears throat> all manner of, uh, of psychological medications from lithium to Adderall and they basically had me on uppers all day and then tranquilized me at night. And that's how I got through uh, my childhood. Um, on the recovery side of things, an interesting thing I did when I was in high school, I went to a, uh, a charter school for uh, basically bad kids that got thrown out. Uh, I caught my first felony when I was 15 from eh, drugs. <laughs> and um, so I developed a drug education program. They wanted me to implement uh, the D.A.R.E. program in that school. And I was like, no, these these kids don't like fucking cops. I don't like fucking cops. And the D.A.R.E. program is fucking trash. So I developed from the ground up a drug education program. And by the time I was out of high school... I started doing all those drugs, so it didn't it didn't really stop me. But um, where I've ended up now, uh, you know, I'm almost forty, and I I enjoy drugs. I'm not against them. I don't think that um, responsible use of drugs should be discouraged. I do believe heavily in harm reduction and being honest with yourself, though. Um, you know, I've I've tried to dial things back in my 20s or 30s. I would just do whatever you put in front of me. And now I do selective things when I want to. And for reasons, I try to be cognizant and not constantly out of my head, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I can dig that. Um well, yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. And uh, Jeremiah, you're up next. You're up. Okay. Um, so I, I've i never, the, the only real drug like I've ever been addicted to is caffeine. And I've been addicted since I was four. Um, but I had a tendency toward addictive like behaviors, I guess you could say. I just never really crossed that threshold where I needed it for any given reason or relied on it for any sort of chemical stability. Like it was still an every once in a while thing, but I did start to do quite a, like not a, not like every drug, but like I started out with weed, you know, and then uh, I moved on to things like, uh, like spice and salvia uh, and spice really, really threw me off. Um, it, it put me through, quite possibly the worst experience I've ever had in my life because those of you who know me know that like I sort of pride myself on what I understand what I know how well my brain works and this shit reduced me to the mental age of four while I was screaming no in my friend's backyard um as two other friends watched um and just trying to scramble and recollect my thoughts. I remember this point during the uh, during the experience where 
I was sort of sitting outside and um, like trying to collect my thoughts. And then I realized I couldn't think. I couldn't really think at all. And it reminded me exactly. Like I, I just snapped back in my mind to being four years old and um, and thought, well, am I just sitting on the uh, on one of the ramps outside school? Because it was like a trailer with a ramp on it. And I was like, well, if I put my head up in its wood and not metal, no, I am at my friend's house and I've destroyed my brain. And so I did that. And then, then the screaming started because I couldn't think. There was like a point during this terrible experience where I was literally like flatlined in terms of thought. My, my vision went away and like I was apparently biting my own tongue and they were concerned I was going to bite it off. So they, they were screaming at me. And when I eventually like got enough cognition to, you know, <laughs> to realize what was happening, I had to reach in and manually open my mouth because I forgot how to do that. It was an extremely bad experience um, and it lasted apparently an hour and a half that felt like, you know, all evening and into the following morning. Um, I could continue to go into detail about all of the things surrounding that, but basically uh, it traumatized me in such a way that uh, now I'm basically what could be termed as chemically scared straight. And, uh, you know, I can't have anything at this point except booze. And so, like, I, I could still get drunk and not feel like I was back there, but I couldn't get high in any way without feeling like I was back on that terrible spice trip. Um, I tell people all the time, don't do spice at all, ever. Uh, if you're going to do anything, you know, you should stick to natural stuff and probably just stay clean and sober is the best choice. Um, and personally, um, the reason I was into substances at all, like I started drinking hard liquor when I was 14. Um, like small things in the fucking restroom at high school. Um, and the, the general like gist of it was that I never really got addicted to that stuff, but it was a handy way to escape the town that I hated the circumstances that made me grow up like, you know, below poverty in an extremely dirt road, rural, like way out there area that nobody gives a shit about and that had nothing to do, nobody to do it with. I was bullied. There was a lot of reasons. But, like, the general, like, vibe of it was that I was only into substances at all because <laughs> shit sucked, yo. So, like, I might as well. And, like, I'm proof that the environment is, like, what impacts a significant amount of that, and I can get into that a little bit later as well. Um, because as soon as I came up to Spokane, I sort of told myself, you're not going to buy any booze while you're here. And I still have not. And I've been what amounts to clean and sober for basically four years now. Um, and I'm probably never going back because, <laughs> you know, it getting drunk is fun. Salvia was great. Um, you know, and weed was fine. Uh, but like, the fact that it got to the point where I was willing to try something just weird and experimental and synthetic shows where my head was at. It shows that I wasn't in a healthy place about any of this. And it shows that I could very well become an addict at some point. Um, anyway, like even if it didn't bring me back to that really terrible place, you know, and like, 
I've met way too many addicts uh, to know like that's not going to go poorly if I decide to like, hey, yeah, it's going to feel bad, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why, why, why would I do that? So it's it's one of those things like, you know, everybody's got a journey. And I just hope that with some of the experiences shared here today that maybe we can get like um, enough sort of, I guess, solidarity between people that like uh, people can recognize, hey, I'm not alone. And there's, you know, resources if uh, if I want to get them and ways out, because like as soon as I moved up here, I basically not wanted booze. So like <laughs> Here is much better than where I was. There's more to do. It's a better place. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm four years at this point, basically. Well, good for you, man. Um, appreciate you sharing. And yeah, that's <clears throat> kind of the intention of having this panel is just, you know, to sort of remove the stigma surrounding these topics and and to help support anybody that might be going through something similar and not be afraid to talk about it, you know, for sure. Oh, and um, everybody, that's my core message, I guess, would be never touch spice ever. No reason. Hey, y'all, I got something cool to tell you about. So you know how uh, I'm doing a big initiative to try to get more people to Gorilla Garden? Well, uh, Daggerist over at com, he's kind of teaming up with me a little bit here to help support this uh, cause. So if you use the code Agora10 uh, over at agorastakers.com, you'll get 10% off um, for any reason um, you're buying seeds, whether that be grill gardening or your own garden, anything like that. But if you contact Daggerist uh, or myself and you tell them that I sent you to get seeds for gorilla gardening, he might be able to swing an additional hookup um, it might be just whatever he's got, you know, a uh, surplus of or that kind of thing, whatever he can do. Um, so he's he's down for the cause here and really wants to help uh, see this come to fruition. Um, so I'm, I am Sekmagora, at Sekmagora on all the, the um, social media. You can contact Daggerist directly on his website, uh, agoristakers.com again. And uh, the code is Agora10 to just get 10, uh, 10% off straight up. And um, tell him I sent you for, for Gorilla Gardening, and you'll, uh, he'll, he'll try to hook you up however he can. And um, what, this is what we got to do. we got to support people that support us that want to see more of this in the world. Um, so, again, it's agorastakers.com. Check it out um, and get out there and uh, and cause a cause a ruckus and get some grill gardening done. All right, y'all. Peace. Yeah, it doesn't sound fun. Um, Penguin, you're next on my list. Do you have something to add here? Well, um, when I uh, was going to come on here, I was thinking, am I going to come on here just uh, as a producer? Maybe the same old blurb at the beginning. And uh, yeah, basically, I haven't um, experienced any of the same. Um, any of the same experiences with like addiction and substance, substance use, it's, you know, been, 
problematic or anything exactly in this ways you describe but again a lot of the story stories that i've heard in people's introductions um i certainly relate to a lot of the stories a lot of the backgrounds and, and experience that you guys have had um so i would i'm really excited to hear the conversation and to um to, to learn a lot and then i you know thinking when um bj started though of course uh, back in the beginning i i do um i do smoke cigarettes and i would i would like to quit and they're we, we know it's highly addictive subs, uh, substance and they don't make me feel that great and they're increasingly even the the, the minimal amount i'm sm i smoke um which i certain, certainly should not be smoking cigarettes for multiple multiple reasons but um they're not making me feel great and hurt my uh you know physical fitness physical health so um, i loved if anybody had any advice to how to get off of those but um yeah i'm really excited to hear what the panel has to say for sure right on uh let's see ray you are up next if you would introduce yourself please uh, all right hey guys i am ray i am half of the let's make some shit podcast and i am a recovering opiate addict um and i definitely could pick parts of what all the um, previous speakers have said and can relate to all of them um, I also, I don't know if I really was the weird kid, but in my mind I was, you know, I never felt like I belonged or fit in or always had a hard time making friends. And um, I also started drinking and smoking weed around age 14 or 15 and felt like, felt like I could fit in and talk to people and, you know, you know, I don't know, it wasn't really a problem then, I guess I didn't, I didn't see it as a problem. But, you know, years, years later, looking back, I got I got alcohol poisoning the first time I ever drank. I like chugged a bottle of peppermint schnapps and had a couple screwdrivers and like it was really bad. Like for me, it's always like balls to the wall, like all or nothing. People would hand me some pills in high school. I take them, be like, well, wait, what are they? You know, like, oh, that's Xanax, you know, only take one. And it's like, OK, well, give me three, you know. <laughs> And I was just checking off, you know, the drugs kind of went through them, did them all. And in my early 20s, when I found opiates, I just, I was just done. Like, I just think like, that was it for me. Like, that was the one, you know. And I struggled with it for like, I don't know, maybe like 15 years. And, you know, it's definitely just kept getting worse and worse. And um, I was a highly functioning addict. I never let it affect my work. So my habit was always funded. And I lived that lie for so long that I started believing it myself. And um, in and out of treatment centers, in and out of meetings and programs and Really, I, I definitely, I definitely recommend to anybody who is just looking to get clean to check out meetings. Like they're a great place to meet people and you really learn a lot about yourself. Um, but as far as staying clean, it really didn't help me. And I know a lot of people in the program would maybe say, maybe I didn't apply myself to the program and the steps enough, but, um, you know, tried to do things my own way still for a while. And around so around 2015 when i was in and out of treatment centers um i was in one for three weeks and before my insurance kicked me out and i was coming off a of heroin and if anybody knows like that's no time at all 
And um, there was a point when I got out that I was like, I can't go back to that way of life, you know, but I didn't really know what else to do. And um, attempted an overdose. And it was, it was probably a cry for help, you know, but at the same time, if it, it ha happened, you know, it happened and I was willing to accept that. But it was kind of at that point that I made it back into treatment, you know, and it's around that time also that we're kind of starting to get into um, libertarianism. Um, my husband, Dag, you know, was starting to get into it. And I'm here. I'm very grateful for him. He stuck by me through all of this. And having a support system is really key when you're trying to get help. Um, and slowly started realizing how important personal responsibility is um, in your life and that realizing that nobody was coming to save me and that if I was going to do anything about it, you know, I would have to take those necessary steps. And um, so I would, like I said, I don't know if I'd really necessarily recommend my way to free for everybody because it's really just, it took years of learning to be honest with myself because I was not honest. I was manipulative and I walked through my addiction and so it took a lot of self-work to learn to be honest with myself and with others and to identify those times where I was slipping or where maybe I was afraid I was going to slip you know and ask for help and it's something that I'm still learning and you know working through but um, I just kind of learned the to avoid certain things. And if I have to change the way that I do things, I'm willing to do that. Um, but like I said, beatings are great. You learn a lot about yourself and it's a great place to start for anybody looking to start getting clean. Sorry, I was kind of nervous, if you could tell. <laughs> oh, you're good. Thank you for sharing all that. I, we appreciate that. Um, and yeah, something I think that we might discover here is there's not necessarily one road to, you know, recovery or, or, any kind of self-improvement, you know, these things might be somewhat individualized, you know, depending on the, the person. And I, I think that's something we'll kind of see here as this conversation goes on. But um, who's up next? Ted, Ted, you're up next. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I have, I guess, two things to address from some things previous people said. Um, first off, Gonzo is not in recovery. He's still a juggalo. Um, second off, Penguin, you can quit smoking <laughs> cigarettes by just buying black and milds. That's that's what I did. But um, <laughs> uh, <okay>. um <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. I um, pretty much as soon as I had like knowledge and access to like anything that would like get me fucked up, I would do it. Um, and then. Like my first girlfriend in ninth grade, or like my first like real girlfriend in ninth grade, um, had eye surgery, and that was like ninety eight. So like they gave her like two thousand Vicodins, <laughs> and like um, she she didn't like them, so she gave them to me, and uh, I definitely like fell in love with them, like right away, and basically not that like I wasn't like hard addicted to opiates like the whole time, but like off and on for like the next fifteen years or so. And, um, I ended up addicted to heroin just cause it's like, uh, cost efficient. Like, <laughs> like once, once they got rid of the good oxys, like, um, you know, it was just much, you, you could get pretty high for 20 or $40 instead of like 50 or whatever the fuck. 
I don't know. So yeah, it just became um, cost efficient to do heroin. And I ended up selling heroin. Um, that was like how I, I funded my habit. Instead, like, not that I like never stole shit or whatever, but like instead of like becoming like a, a thief full time, I just sold heroin. Um, yeah, I, I guess like before that, though, like I was selling weed and like, I would end up with people like trying to trade me pills or like asking if I could get pills or whatever the fuck. So, um, yeah. And yeah, I was addicted to heroin for a while. <laughs> it, it sucked. Uh, um, I was in recovery programs off and on, like since high school, like my parents would like, like I, I guess like the first time like, my parents sent me to one in probably like 11th grade or something. But I always like, I, 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 uh, I think that for the most part, they're completely full of shit. Uh, it was never going to work for me. I was never going to accept like that. I had to do things their way and like believe in their, like their steps and like the higher power shit. And like, well, I don't know. I just thought it fucking sucked. I still do. Uh, I would, for for me, it was not that was never something that was gonna work. Um, I eventually was just tired of being sick all the time and went to the methadone clinic. Um, so that <laughs> was that was there until what, 2016 or something. I went for like four or five years ish, and uh, last time I did heroin was in 2014. It's like I was still using while I was at the methadone clinic for a while until it was like. Eventually, I just kind of didn't know any of those people or like all my friends died. <laughs> so like I, I like uh, I don't know. I don't I, I wouldn't know where to, to get heroin anymore, really. So that's helpful for avoiding it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like uh, it for me, it was never like, uh, oh, this is sad. You're wasting your life or like uh, I, I'm a loser. It was like, no, I'm just tired of being sick. Like philosophically, there's no reason not to just do heroin every day. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's uh, that's basically my story. Uh, yeah, I still am addicted to tobacco, and I, you know, I smoke weed every day. But yeah, um, no opiates for almost what almost nine years. And uh, oh. yeah, good for you, dude. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing all that, man. Um, I guess I guess I'll share my fucking deal. Um. Uh, let's see condensed version. So we don't take up too much time here, but I don't know. I started, my parents started smoking weed with me when I was like seven years old. Right. So started smoking a bunch of weed. Um, my childhood was pretty traumatic and I was an angry young man. And, uh, I was also, yeah, kind of, the, kind of a weird kid, you know, I was, uh, hung out with the punk rock kids and fucking whatnot. And, uh, the weirdos and same as uh jeremiah i don't think i was ever really addicted to anything except caffeine and cigarettes but i was somewhat addicted to having a, a good time you know and i would just anything you put in front of me i would just do it throughout my teens and maybe in, in my early 20s at the latest and i was selling a lot of drugs um so it was essentially free so i was never really uh out anything out of the pocket and i left home early on and got an apartment early so my house was just the fucking party spot and we were doing a lot of ecstasy and fucking psychedelics and cocaine and whatever else and um just i 
part of it was that was the only way then I knew how to have a good time. And, you know, I was a, a depressed and angry young man. So like I needed to have a good time to sort of escape my own brain. And, uh, it's kind of an odd dichotomy in a sense, like, uh, in some sense, at least psychedelics help me process through a lot of trauma and sort of mental issues I was having at the time. Um, you know, Jung would call this like shadow work. It helped me do this, the, the sort of interior work that, and, and re smoking a lot of weed and, and reading a lot of philosophy and stuff and psychology. But in some sense, like uh, the hard drugs were causing me problems, but the psych psychedelics were helping me work through it. So I have sort of a mixed, uh, mixed feelings about drugs in general. Um, and then when I was like 18, my mother died and that hit me pretty hard and it was just it turned into from like fun trying escapism to like in some sense self-destruction like i was trying very hard um but then i had kids young and that kind of um you know i uh, it's not that i never did drugs again but it wasn't an all the time thing after I had kids. I, you know, sort of, I guess, shaped up or whatever and just fucking handled business. But, um, you know, I, we'd still party every now and now and again, even after the kids were uh, born. But, um, but I, I've, the only thing that ever got a hold of me was coffee and cigarettes. And I'm still doing those to this day. And I've quit cigarettes like four or five times. And I keep going back to them, but um, yeah, that's uh, I guess my my deal. Um, but it sounds like we, oddly enough, uh, are came t to this situation from similar circumstances or similar life paths. It's a, there's a pattern I'm noticing. Um, that might be that we're, <laughs> you know, all anarchists, so we were all the weird fucking kids growing up, you know, but, um, yeah, I'm not surprised that we have kind of convergent stories a little bit, or yeah, basically, or not 100%. convergent isn't converging now, but like similar backgrounds. All not all probably I'm guessing everybody in this room was totally nonconformist kid. Yes. I was a status, but I still fucking hated a lot of shit. And that's, I had to turn to things to deal with it. I could see through Same. teachers. I could see through teachers and authoritarians BS and rather than saying that, I had ways of expressing myself, which was basically not cooperating, refusing to do th things. My parents thought I was fucked up. They took me to psychologists, all this other shit. And it was just like, you know what? I just had already had enough of people by the time I was 11. So, yeah, same. Jeremiah, you had something to say here? Yeah, okay. So in the chat we got going here, it's like sort of sidebar chat. I'm not sure the live stream can see that. But basically, the... um there's a an experiment that really highlighted a lot of this it's called rat park um some of you have probably heard of it but for those of you who haven't um basically experimentative thing where they tested rats level of addiction to cocaine um by like exposing them to various stimuli within their cages or removing all the stimuli in general in their cages and seeing 
uh, like what their level of addiction to these substances would be. Um, and basically the rats kept on going back to the cocaine, the worse the environments were. And, um, like they basically found out that the, that the, uh, the opposite of addiction isn't necessarily recovery or sobriety. The opposite of addiction is community and, you know, health. And like they gave them, uh, more things to do, more rats to fuck more like things to like stimulate themselves with. And the more and the more that happened, they eventually found out that the rats would not touch the Coke water if they had a good enough life. And I feel like that's the same thing in, in like meat space with humans. It's like, I, I wasn't into booze because I love hangovers. I was into booze because the desert sucked and I didn't have jack shit to do. Um, and the people there I hated, I was bullied as a kid. I was abused by a parent, you know, there was, I was a child of divorce, you know, there, there's like a laundry list of fucked up shit in me. Also probably a little bit of brain trauma as a baby. Cause something fell on me during a very bad earthquake, you know, like just a laundry list of things. Like I'm, I'm bipolar type one. I've got you know, ADHD and I've got all these conditions that the docs didn't even like properly medicate me for, but they really tried hard because like I was responding to my environment by being the way I was, you know, it, it wasn't that I was like this all the time because of, you know, fate. It was that I was this way because I was responding to the cage I was put in. And that's like my practical like personal experience but like there are so many examples of this that like they built us a prison planet and stuck us in shit ass oppressive abusive cages and uh we're acting just like those rats addicted to x y and z you know because that's the way to handle it it's a bad way to handle it but it's like a way out and so you know they they make everything terrible you're gonna seek one or more types of escapism um you know that's 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 the foundational thing i wanted to bring up is that i think that's really the 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 root here is that it's 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 less internalities and more externalities that start at the foundation and then once you realize that and you realize what's going to like put you in that position you can start to take the steps to better your environment and your outlook and your life in general uh bj says she wants to add something before uh she ducks out uh yeah sure real quick BJ. Sorry, I thought I muted my unmuted myself. So I want to definitely agree with uh, what Jeremiah just said and just kind of add on to that, that there's a lot of ways that people try to cope with life in general and um, understanding the mechanisms of how to do that when you're young. It, it seems like the majority of the group here was very young um, is impossible to fathom because you're just a kid, right? Even if you're like 17, 19, you're not developed mentally to the point where you understand adult situations in society and how things work. And so I have to really agree that, um, you know, using an addiction to cope or to escape or to, you know, rebel, um, using these things um, is really easy to do. It's a trap that anybody can fall in. You don't even have to be um, a kid. You could be an adult. And just being able to talk about this stuff is really helpful. And I also have to agree with meetings 
um, even though I had my addiction was basically um, food, I did have to go through the paths of um, AA and NA and that kind of stuff because when I was in a secondary school, a vocational school where I lived on campus, I was done with school, but I was waiting for the next transition, which was sort of like a way for me to branch into regular college. And it's like, it's hard to explain, but it's basically, it was job core. And back then you could, you were basically paid to go to school. And I was an honor student according to their standards. <laughs> and I was finished with all my classes, but I still had to go to classes and show up and like maybe help certain professors do this and that and the other thing. And rather than go in, I just partied. And I wasn't like, I don't think I, I mean, people always think, oh, you, you didn't have a problem. Sure. Okay, Jan. But the thing was, is like, that's, I just, I was partying with my friends. I, I had nothing to be responsible for. And they decided to say, well, you know, you need to go to treatment. You need to do this and that and the other thing. And when I left 14 days later, yeah, I did the half-ass version. <laughs> when I left 14 days later, I was like, I never, it's like that whole part of me didn't even happen. It was like six months of just goofing around and experimenting. But I will say that going, having to be forced to go through that really helped me understand people and how they were, how they coped with addiction and how they saw a path to recovery or didn't see a path to recovery. And I think it really helped me empathize with a lot of situations that people had. And it was also difficult because I got to be the person that everybody could criticize because I wasn't addiction addicted, but I was forced to go there because the school wanted to make an example out of me. Um, so very weird story. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. <laughs> and like my parents were like full on, you know, the whole after school special where the, like the, the high school kid is like stoned and like does have a problem and like does have to go through all the stuff. And the parents are like shaking them like, why won't you wake up Johnny? And it's like in the fucking eighties, some of the older people are probably relating to that. And my parents were totally that they were playing that role. Like, you know, we want you to be better and this and that. And it's like, uh, okay. what? <laughs> like I had to go to a halfway house for three months after that. Like my parents didn't want me to come home. <laughs> and then like, lo and behold, after I having to do all that stuff, I just, went and got a job and like started being a normal person and like on the weekends I would have a couple of drinks and maybe smoke a bowl and that was it I mean I held down a 40 hour a week job where you had to wear a suit and pantyhose it's like the early 90s and you get kicked out of your office if you're not wearing a proper outfit all that kind of bullshit like the things that people have to go through just to kind of like prove themselves and also like survive in this weird like strange society like i think it was gonzo who was saying something about how um you know people should be allowed to do whatever they want and i don't have judgment on people who are are, are you know if they relapse and things like that i mean i i just want people to understand that it's a delicate thing but it's also something that we all get a chance every day to fix so thank you for letting me speak my piece no, thanks for sharing that. Are are you heading out, BJ? Sorry, I'm muted. Yes, I am. Okay, well, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate you sharing um, and and joining us for for this. This was cool. Yeah, thanks you guys for sharing too. All right, peace, BJ. 
Ray, you uh, you wanted to say something. Yeah, Ray, go ahead. You're muted. I hit the wrong button. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you hit it again. Again. It again. <laughs> I was just going to expound, I guess, on what Jeremiah was talking about with like the rats, and um, it definitely, it personally in my recovery, have. Finding fulfilling activities to do, things that bring you joy, you know, outside of your job or whatever, like, has been paramount to helping me get out of my head and not constantly be, like, thinking about, you know, my addiction or using or something. And it's helped me to find things that I enjoy doing and kind of like a thirst to keep learning more. And that was kind of like definitely a big thing with starting our podcast, you know, the let's make some shit podcast and kind of learning new projects and sharing. Um, and then also I just wanted to, uh, there's something I had forgot to say and it kind of some things other people were saying uh, made me think of it. And like, like I said, I feel like meetings are good. You can learn a lot, but um, I, I didn't say this either that um, I still smoke weed, you know, and I drink and I when I was going to meetings and uh, at my most desperate times, um, you know, I was willing to try anything. And I, I was like, OK, if I have to quit smoking weed, you know, to do this program, I will. And it wasn't until like years later when I had a therapist and she was like, I have known more uh, heroin addicts as clients that have you know been able to stay clean enough opiate opiates that do smoke weed and it was kind of that first time where it's like okay well maybe there are other ways you know besides na because if you go to na or you know those 12-step programs they really make you feel like if you don't follow their rules and steps exactly you're going to end up in jail institutions or dead you know and i just didn't really prescribe to that i felt like they really promoted the victim mentality you know and i didn't really subscribe to that either and like I said, I really kind of, yeah, harm reduction, the yeah, Agonzo saying that in the chat, like definitely. And, you know, just kind of, like I said, just realizing there are other ways to do it besides that way. And however you get to that way is great, you know, and you can just, I think once you remove those substances and your mind starts to clear and you really um, kind of really start to get in tune with your body, because it really wasn't until after I started getting clean that I was kind of noticing things that my body was saying or doing or, you know, craving or needing. And, you know, like once you are kind of more in tune with those things, it's kind of easier to keep going in the right direction, I guess, I think is what I wanted to add. Yeah, right on. Um, does anyone have, there's a lot of shit going on in the chat. Does anybody have anything to add to this particular topic, whether the 12 step or the, uh, the rat experiment Tat, Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, like I just always really thought it sucked. Like that <laughs> it's like, okay. So for example, the, the like recovery thing I went to when I was like a teenager, this one day they wanted to do this like ear acupuncture shit. And like, I didn't fucking want to do it. Like I, it was creeping me out. I was not into the idea. And they like, just were i don't know how like they were just like well if, if not everyone wants to do it then the group doesn't get to do it and they were like fucking peer pressure me to do it the same way they talk about like fucking people giving you drugs or whatever i'm like i don't fucking like this shit i don't want to do it like leave me the fuck alone 
and they wouldn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I eventually was like, all right, fucking fine. And it like wasn't that bad, but I, I don't know, man. I didn't like that. I didn't like the like they. I don't know. Like they just fucking um, act like that. And, and I, okay. And like one time when I was in one of those groups, I was saying like it seems like a lot. Of, like what you're pushing is that we're supposed to be addicted to not doing drugs. Like, like we're supposed to like stay in these programs the whole, like, and, you know, paying you or whatever in some cases. Right. And it's like, I don't, I don't want my whole life to be this forever. And they're like, well, that's, you don't have that choice. You're an addict. You're, you're always going to be an addict. You have, and I, like, I don't fucking like their attitude. It's like, dude, just cause you, you were, cause like the, the guy who was like leading this particular group or whatever the fuck he like fucking, um, he had been a real bad alcoholic was talking about how he like, you know, would sleep under bridges and shit. And it's like, okay, but dude, I, that was never me. Like j just because you feel like you need to, is that's like, I guess part of his addiction to uh, not doing drugs is that he has to fucking come bully fucking high schoolers. I don't know, man. It just, I don't, I don't like that shit. Fuck them. Anyway, that's, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> right on Ted, right on Hey, real quick. I'm just going to say that you would find if you haven't already heard the song, a step by ministry, you would find that funny. It sort of mocks those sorts of people. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with ministry. I I fucking love ministry, but there's also okay. Since we're on a song, and then I'll let Gonzo, then I'll let you in. There's a song by a band called Mischief Brew called Coffee God and Cigarettes, and it's about going to twelve step. And he says, "I used to worship whiskey. Now I only drink the Lord, and I take my coffee cream and seven sugars." Before we meet, we stand out on the sidewalk as it pours, swapping one addiction for another. So that's the other thing about the 12-step that always kind of made me chuckle is, um, you know, okay, we're, we're, we're clean and sober, but meanwhile, we're drinking fucking gallons of coffee and smoke chain smoking cigarettes yeah, and like letting like 16 year olds chain smoke cigarettes or whatever. Right. And not like, recognizing <laughs> the contradiction there. You know, it's like. Oh, well, obviously, some drugs are okay to you and some are not. You know what I mean? That That's implicit in what you're allowing here. So that, that almost seems to me like, well, is it just legal drugs that are okay with, you know, like, I don't understand the, the thing there. But I mean, if it fucking works for you, do it, you know, but um, that's I've I've never been a huge fan either. Um, Gonzo, you're up. So I think that um, harm reduction is the big thing when it comes to dealing with your own addictions. Um, the one thing that I do agree with from the 12 step programs is that you have to be the one to admit that you want to change something like everybody telling you, listen, I don't want you doing that. You're hurting yourself. Fuck off. Like this is my fucking life. I have to get through it. You, you are secondary to this. And what I realized, I was eating massive amounts of painkillers and Xanax and snorting volume and just generally being a terrible human. And I did, fuck, six or seven hits of uh, blotter acid. <laughs> and I realized that I had forgotten so much over the past couple years that I had been doing Xanax and that I didn't. It, I came to a realization that that was something that I wanted to change because in, during this trip, I, I kind of compared my life to Alice in Wonderland, oddly enough, 
because she's, you know, drinking, drink me, eat me, you know, get big, get little, whatever you want to do, there's a substance for it. And I learned that as a child with the Ritalin or the lithium or the Trazodone, you know, when it's bedtime, well, go get the Trazodone. Oh shit. I'm tired. It's I've got to go to school. Where's the Ritalin? And there, it was just this way to tailor your high to what you were doing. And this acid trip showed me that that's exactly what I was continuing to do. So I found other things like, you know, Kratom and just when I want to be out of my head, maybe mushrooms were a better idea than Oxycontin, you know, and discovering the things that still worked for me, but hurt me less, I guess. And I think that that's what leads, I think that escapism and trying to tailor your high like some people aren't meant to be sober so you you tailor your high to your life and that can be dangerous and i think that <clears throat> i think that psilocybin and things like it so i don't recommend lsd for everyone but you know if that's your jam you can learn a lot about yourself you can through introspection, if you're willing to take that trip, you can learn a lot. And I guess my advice would be to learn as much as you can and then reduce harm. Yeah, sometimes whether you want to or not, you're going to fucking learn some shit. You don't have a choice. Um, man, seven hits of blotter acid, is a that's a lot of acid. And I'm not surprised that your brain started thinking in terms of Alice in Wonderland at all. But... <laughs> Well, people wonder why I sound retarded. I've done a lot of drugs, man. <laughs> um, does anybody else have anything to add to that? Drew, you've been chatting it up in the chat. You got something to add here? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, valid points all the way around. You know, if whoever's listening to this, if you're listening to this and you're struggling Here's the thing. You can learn from other people. You know, you can learn from the people you heard speaking here. You can learn by going to your local meeting. You can learn from a number of resources. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to do what's right for you. Um, you I think it's also important to kind of point out here that, you know, these 12-step programs started up because there was nothing else. Like, there was no other concept of recovery at that time. Like, Fuck, man. They, they even have like the old AA uh, meeting notes talking about like heroin junkies coming into the meeting and how much it fucked up the old timers that that at that time, you know, like they didn't know how to handle uh, addiction at all. So, you know, we find ourselves today, you know, where we're at now as a as a society and as a culture um, that we have a lot more of a grasp on on what it means to to find freedom from that shit. We also have, at least in most places, have has more of a grasp on, you know, welcoming new forms of treatment, welcoming things like uh, med medicine, medication and assisted treatment, like uh, Suboxone, Methadone. Uh, Ted was talking about that at the beginning. I think that that's being looked at more favorably, um, you know, in, in a lot of places. But um, 
ultimately at the end of the day, man, it doesn't matter what anybody else approves or disapproves of as long as you're finding freedom. And like Gonzo said, as long as you're reducing harm in your own life, like that's the fucking Avenue. That's the ticket, you know? And yeah, punk rock, whatever that, whatever it takes, just do that thing. So real quick, Jeremiah, and then, and then I'll let you have it. I, as you were talking, it almost seems to me that there's a necessity, at least at where we at, where we are culturally to, for another system of recovery, aside from the 12 step program, because it seems to me that lots of people have, you know, okay. So things like ketamine and MDMA and psilocybin and all these things are being used therapeutically now, you know, like pretty with, without too much stigma surrounding that anymore. So it, it seems to me like even just hearing the conversations here that <clears throat> maybe there's a, a need for another organization or, or system of recovery, you know, and I'm, I mean, get real like psychologists in on this that are sort of open to the, the idea of like, no, yeah, if you, if you want to smoke some pot to get off heroin, you should, yeah, you should definitely do that. That seems like a no brainer, you know? So, or if you want to do mushrooms to sort of work through your trauma so you, you don't have, you know, you get at the root cause of whatever the your addiction to whatever it came about in the first place. Yeah, you should probably let's let's look into that and we'll do that and sort of tailor. It, it seems like the 12 step probably works for a lot of people. It does. Right. But there, and that there that's a, a percentage of society that that's going to work for. There's a we have people in this group that that would have never worked for. Right. So there, there needs to be another system of recovery for those people. Right. Um, and I'm not the person to put something like that together. Right. But um, I would think, you know, um, somebody's got to be working on something like this. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I got some friends that started up a group uh, out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it's called Zen and the Art of Whatever Works. And what they've done is just kind of like taken aspects of a bunch of different recovery programs. And uh, there's like no hardcore outline, like you have to work this program this way. It's like, you know, hey, here's some information about local churches that utilize psilocybin mushrooms and plant-based medicines in order to, you know, for therapeutic reasons. Uh, here's also some some other uh, resources if you're wanting to go a different route. And basically what they do is they just meet up every every week like you would see it, the traditional like 12 step meeting, but they're supporting each other in their own paths of discovery about, you know, what works for them and what doesn't. And I think it's fucking rad. And I think it's also important to point out that Bill W., the father of Alcoholics Anonymous, tripped acid in a therapist office and kept the sobriety date back when it was still legal to be, you know, used in that setting. Um, so, you know, fuck, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? All right. I have heard that story, and that's kind of funny to me. But, um, yeah, uh, Jeremiah, you had something. Yeah, so essentially, like, uh, th there's a part of my sort of story where, like, I wanted to escape the desert that I lived in so badly. And there was this local mountain community. I'm not going to say which desert, I'm not going to say which mountain community, but what I will say is there was this local mountain community that seemed a lot nicer. Um, and basically the, uh, the thing that happened was 
the only place I could afford in this mountain community um, was a sober living place. So I had to, like, I was considered a normie among their ranks. And I had a, you know, an addict roommate um, and then another addict roommate because that guy relapsed and started to become violent. Um, and then another addict roommate because that guy shot up heroin so much that it was staining the ceiling when he did the needle aspiration. And just, yeah, it was it was a bad scene for me. But, like, I would still go out occasionally, you know, where I could to have an experience or two during my stay there. But, like, ultimately, the, um, like, the, the program still demanded that I go to these meetings, that I go to the 12-step meetings that they had there. And... The thing, the thing that was sort of like, you know, good about that was that apparently it was really fucking hard to get the meeting going. Like, in order to get funding, they needed to have a weekly meeting on premises, um, you know, in order to get funding to make the place a cheap place to be. Um, so they had this weekly meeting on premises, and the weekly meeting was basically a 12-step um, and everybody or AA kind of affiliated program. Like I think it had its like medallion or whatever they call it. The thing that like actually makes it an official thing. Um, and like apparently this like crowd really didn't like sharing anything at all. And so like I would break the awkward silence because I'm not going to fucking exist in a place with awkward silence. Fuck that. Like I, I already hated it. Um, so I wasn't, because I didn't need that shit. Uh, I was doing mostly fine with not being on substances. So the ultimate thing that happened there was that, like, uh, I would start the meetings by telling stories about how, you know, uh, I got like in into booze at all um, because of my childhood abuse being bullied being treated as the other, not much stuff to do, that sort of thing. And it would get a lot of people talking. It would get the, it sort of grease the wheels. Um, because, you know, you talk about the stigma at the beginning of all this. And, yeah, there's a stigma. And that sort of has a chilling effect on a lot of people's willingness to discuss this sort of thing. Um, but me... Uh, anyone who's been following my content or me for any amount of time knows I'm a brazen asshole. And so I'll just kind of do the thing anyway. Um, and so I did that. And some of the stories, like, I mean, basically they would all sort of lay the foundation for confirming what I thought, which is, you know, people get into this shit because, you know, their normal shit sucks. With very few exceptions, like, people who become addicts start from a bad foundation. And, like, but then, like it was sort of pr like semi-productive, you know, I got to air out my issues. Uh, they, they liked me there to some extent. Some of them hated me because I'm, you know, what was this guy doing here? He's not an addict. Um, but like, you know, for the most part, it was well received and it was somewhat okay. But what I noticed is this and also other programs that I've been in because, you know, poverty, um, 
you know, sort of in order to tick their funding boxes, they have to appear to be doing something. And so they make you attend these meetings. They make you do like jump through these hoops in order to go through their programs. And what I noticed was that for me and also multiple other people there, it was like counterproductive. It was like, why am I spending an hour plus here when I could be going out and doing something productive? Why do I have to attend these when I could be going out and getting a job or like doing some odd work or taking a college class or what could I potentially be doing better with this fucking time? Like some people, 100%, they need this, especially since a lot of people get addicted because they lack a sense of community because their community sucked ass and it treated them like shit and uh, they they don't have anybody to turn to. So they jump down the neck of a bottle or through the needle uh, eye. But like, let's be clear and say that like uh, even some of those people would be better benefited just by having a more productive use of their time and being in a place or around people that aren't treating them like shit. So what I, what I ultimately found out, because I was in this uh, pro, like program technically, even though I was in Norming, because like I signed up the, the same contract everybody else did to get the rent there and shit like that, fucking lease and also sober, whatever you promise not to uh, do substances on the premises other than the legally uh, socially acceptable drugs. Um, so it's so, like that. And also some homelessness stuff that I went through, like some homeless programs, like making you go to um, like meeting after meeting and thing after thing in order to basically just get housing. And they didn't care that that took up way too much time and that it stunted people's, uh, upward mobility what they cared is that they seemed to be doing something with their program so that they could get funding and it made me super cynical like i was already a cynical pessimistic ass but it, this made me super cynical about these kinds of programs because it was like come on guys if you really want people to move up in th th then you would stop holding them down and keeping them here like it's it's fucked it's and so a lot of these people seem self-interested like you know fucking yeah you, you run a, a government program to help needy people but you drive a mercedes or something like that it's like good for you you know and, and <laughs> i could talk about this we we talked about on uh Agris nexus podcast we had a um a homelessness uh panel there as well um and like you know, there, there's just so much wrong with the way these institutional programs fucking work. And, you know, it's it's largely because of their connection to the state. It's largely because of their connection to, uh, you know, financiers who want a way to launder their money. Like, it's it's a very corrupt industry. That's, a, that's, that's what I wanted to say in response to that. Like, I've got hella experience with these people. And, uh, woo, I'll, I'll be damned if they ain't some of the most corrupt people oftentimes not all the time oftentimes right on hey uh all right so here i'm gonna let anybody jump in if they have anything to add but then after that i want to go around and uh <clears throat> sort of find out what you know individual solutions are what works worked for you 
you know, tips, tricks, methods, practices that people here have found useful, uh, that kind of thing. So we can kind of leave on a positive note here. But um, if anybody has anything to add before that, uh, jump in yeah, right here. Yeah, you, you, you made the mistake of having me on for positive notes. <laughs> uh, anybody want to jump in? No? Okay. Well, uh, we'll start back up with the big penguin. Make somebody. Okay. Uh, no. no. Um, you want to go skip skip ahead to the uh, to the round? Um, yeah, I'm gonna do I that. Know, do my, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Drew, um, what I'm looking for here is like um, resources that people could uh, might find valuable if they're struggling with addiction or practices. I'm not necessarily talking about like institutions or 12 step programs. I mean uh, that too, but also just I don't know, like things like meditation or therapy or eating well or, or, you know, community, like things that work, uh, you found, uh, worked in your own life to, to help struggle through this. Yeah. So first off and foremost, if you're currently using drugs and you're currently an IV drug user, you need to be aware of the, um, harm reduction organizations that are in your local area. And you can find that information by going to the North American syringe exchange network. That's nason.org. And there's like a, a fully, uh, like a full heat map. It'll show you where everybody's at a full directory. Um, hundred percent it, you know, eventually whenever you want to like get ahead of this or stop using or whatever, you don't want to have hepatitis C or HIV to deal with on top of it. Um, it's not fucking fun at all. That's what I went through and, uh, it is what it is, but we live in an age where harm reduction is looked at a lot more favorably. So you have options, but beyond that, when it came to like, for me getting, getting, uh, cleaned up and everything, it just, it was about finding people who wanted the same things out of life that I did, you know, changing my circle up. Um, I didn't know that people could like have relationships beyond the contents of a dope sack, you know, like my, my interactions that I had with other people for a lot of years was solely, you know, revolved around drug use. So, you know, whether you're going to meetings, whether you're going to a church, whether you're going anywhere, I don't give a fuck where it is. Like find those people who will support you and root you on and not try to drag you back down to that place you're trying to crawl out of. Like that's a huge fucking part of it. And uh, kind of like Jeremiah was talking about the opposite of addiction is connection. Like get connected with those people in your community who want to see you do better. And uh, I'd say just, you know, jump off from there. Um, you can find me on Twitter too, at Liberty Drew 84. My DMs are open. Holler at me. If you just need somebody to talk to or anything, man, I'm always there for you. Okay. Well said. Gonzo. You got any um got anything to add here in terms of like um tools or or uh, you know positive uh methods of, of something that you use to get around this you know yeah absolutely um in my intro i i mentioned that i started a drug education program for my high school that actually ended up going nationwide and it's still used to this day about 20 years later um there are three 
three tenants to that, and I use them still. Um, I came up with them as a methed out 17 year old, but when you're right, you're fucking right. And there were three, three things that you do. And the first one I stole from 12 steps. You got to admit, you got to admit that there's something you want to change. Um, the second step is to do what you can to avoid the behavior that you don't want to engage in. Like Drew said, if that's church, great. If it's, you know, getting healthy, working out, going fucking shooting, whatever it is that gives you that dopamine hit that doesn't come from the drug, get involved in that. Take the money that you were going to spend on those drugs and put it into a hobby that you fucking like. You know, recovery doesn't need to be fucking punishment. You aren't a bad person. You're an addicted person. Don't, don't be fucking mean to yourself. It's not going to help you. More than likely, it'll depress you and you'll fucking relapse. So involve yourself is the third step. Um, you avoid the behavior. Involve yourself in things that you like. Um, as far as personally, psilocybin is a miracle for me in my life and my mental health and uh, getting off of bad drugs and all manner of, I find it to be very therapeutic. Um, I don't recommend LSD for everyone, but if you are the sort that can handle it, you can learn a lot about yourself. And that's generally I found when I'm abusing drugs, it's because there's something I don't understand about my life or I feel out of control. That's where hallucinogens have helped me to see things from a different perspective, to think about things in a way I typically wouldn't. And I found that to be helpful. Um, Kratom helped me with opiates and with um, amphetamines because it has both effects, oddly enough. You know, it gives you an up and it gives you a body buzz. No, it's not like snorting Oxycontin, but it's goody fucking enough and not nearly as bad for you, at least. Lastly, what I'll say is if you need to speak to somebody like me, uh, I find me. I'm on Twitter, Gonzo01201. I'm not going to judge you for who you are or what you do. I will talk to you and, you know, if you want my advice, I'll give it. And don't punish yourself. You're not bad. You're just addicted. Ray, you have something to add here? Um, I'm just going to second, you know, what Drew and Gonzo said um, about the, you know, community and um, having support people. Um, and the harm reduction, um, Kratom is definitely something that helped me. Um, but with those support people, and I think it's just really important to communicate your needs. If there's something that you need that will help you to get to your goal, you know, if the person is, you know, you know, truly a support person and they will probably be more than happy to help you, you know, whatever that is, like I'll give an example, um, I had to have my husband help me with money for a while. I, I didn't trust myself holding cash, you know, so I had him just kind of help me 
you know, just be an adult and do adult things again, you know, money management. And um, um, so, uh, but yeah, and just, oh, and also what they were talking about. Yeah, just finding hobbies and, you know, like, like they're saying, you're, you're not a bad person. You're just an addict. So otherwise, right. already kind of already covered everything else. <laughs> yeah, right on. Uh, Chet, you got something to add here, man? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know, not really. Um, fucking, yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Chet, man. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm fucking really stoned. Okay, so like, twelve step didn't help you, man. <laughs> but what, like, what did you just fucking did it, or like, you know, did, what did you do? Well, I mean, so oh, so imagine, man. There's somebody out there that hasn't found any value or connected to the, the people that have talked so far. But there's somebody out there fucking like you who's like, nah, fuck it, I just don't like being fucking sick anymore. And well, so you might be able to help somebody here, you know. I guess. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, yeah. Uh, I just, yeah. I mean, I didn't like being fucking sick anymore and like people started fucking dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, uh, it just wasn't fun anymore. So, but I mean, for me, I mean, I think that's, that's like what it took and I'm lucky, I guess that I was one of the people who like, like in my circle who like did live through it. Uh, but like, I I had to come to that conclusion on my own. Like, there's there's no sort of like recovery program that was ever gonna like matter for me. I don't think. Like, um, once I was at the methadone clinic, um, so like the the first methadone clinic I went to, um, I know you were like trying to wrap up. I'm gonna keep this shortish, I guess. But it's like the first methadone clinic I went to was like, uh, funded by the city and shit, and was like fucking awful. And like, um, there's people selling heroin in the parking lot. Like, and my counselor was, like, just this, like, huge black guy who had, like, 700 other people, and he didn't know my name. You know what I mean? But then I eventually switched to another methadone clinic and um, fucking had a good counselor. So I got lucky there. I mean, I, I just got lucky uh, as much as anything. Like, I don't, I don't think that there's, like, a solution, really, for people like me in that sense, except that you just have to make that decision that you don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair that, enough. I mean, that that's really it. Right on. Uh, Ray, you had something to, you want to jump in again? Uh, yeah. I just wanted to mention this. I know some of the other harm reduction things were already mentioned, but there is um, something called Vivitrol. And it's kind of like a newer, um, a newer drug, and it's kind of difficult to get. But um, a lot of times, it'll make you like complete a program, or something. But it's kind of a shame, not more widely widely available. Um, the issue with Suboxone is you basically stay high, and when you are ready to get off of them, it's almost even more difficult than what you were using before. Um, but the Vivitrol is a shot, and you get it once a month, and you don't have any withdrawals when you decide to stop using it. Um, but the thing that makes it kind of difficult and probably why it's hard to get is if you have – they use it for alcohol and opiates, 
Um, but if you have any opiates or alcohol in your system, like at all, when you get it, like it'll make you very, very, very sick. But if you are serious, uh, you know, about getting clean and you have the means, you know, to go through a program and you, maybe you feel like you're just, you don't trust yourself and you're just not ready to, you know, do it on your own or some other way, um, that is a, a really great option. I think that maybe is just not quite as well known. Awesome. 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 Uh, Jeremiah, you're up. All right, so here's more black pills. They found uh, a lot of the mechanisms for addiction and the psychological harm of substance abuse during the MK and associated programs with the CIA. Um, not just substance abuse either, just general psychological damage. They would, uh, if you if you ever have four hours and you want to be depressed and angry, watch The Minds of Men by True Stream Media. It's a wild ride and it'll fuck you up. Uh, and if you weren't already radicalized, welcome aboard. But basically, the general vibe of it is that the more you isolate somebody, the more you remove their other stimulants, um, the more the more you sort of like become their only stimulus, their only way to interface with the world the more you can control them. Um, governments know this because of those programs. Drug dealers know this because it's how they retain clients. Um, alcohol companies know this. Uh, cigarette companies know this. Junk food companies know this. They all know this, that if you keep people in an environment where you're the option, they will say yes. And they will think they have to say yes, or they will at least not really understand how to say no. Um, it's not, you know, just as simple as saying, you know, uh, I, I've, I've got a higher power or I've got, you know, uh, a support structure like those. Fine. If that works for you, great. But like, really, those are only useful to people if they can break them out of the controlled stimulus environment being used to keep them in line with the products intended to corrupt and control them. Um, and the ultimate truth is that people aren't going to improve in a general basis and they're going to continue dying of cancer and, you know, organ failure and all this stuff. Um, and, uh, ODing on the floor, <laughs> you know, being the subject of nothing more is Jenny's song, uh, which is very depressing to anyone who's known an addict. Um, but like, they'll keep doing that as long as that's what they know. And as long as they like, aren't being given an alternative option. And so the ultimate thing here is be that alternative option. Don't treat people like shit. Um, be, you know, logical and reasonable with people and try to have, you know, their six if other people don't and if they're not, you know, harming anyone. Be, you know, anarchist and be their, like, opposite of this control structure that's put them into this place and this headspace to begin with. Because, like, let's be, you know, completely clear and extremely, like, honest. That's what's creating these conditions, social like sort of decay, the penem et circenses that led us to this point has got us hooked on all this fucking shit. And, you know, the the abuse cycle is what creates the substance abuse cycle uh, is the way you could phrase it. 
Um, if anyone wants to write that in their future recovery books, feel free to not credit me because I don't give a shit or credit me because you think I'm based. But like the ultimate thing here is that like, that's what you need to do. You need to be the social improvement you want to see. Uh, you need to be the better cage for the rats or they're going to keep on hitting that shit. And <laughs> I've met so many people who have no problem with making the world just as bad as it was when they got addicted because of it. They have no problem doing exactly the same kinds of things to other people that created addicts in them and their circles to begin with. Um, and then they wonder why shit sucks so much, or they're just like, okay with the fact that shit sucks. And like, that needs to change. We need to be more accountable to ourselves. We need to be more accountable to the future and the mark we make on the world. And if we're not willing to do that, then we have nobody but ourselves to blame for addiction uh, being a continued uh, problem. And whatever specific substance epidemic the news wants to use to get clickbait headlines, you know, whether it be fentanyl or alcoholism or uh, them kids be vaping, though, then it's going to continue because the society that made them want to, you know, hit that shit is continuing. And that needs to stop. It all needs to stop. If it doesn't stop, we're fucked. Everything's going to continue with social decay. Everything's going to continue into a spiral of addiction and trying to escape the social decay. And we're never going to get better. It's up to us. And we it's, it's going to be much more like complicated than dropping the bottle or a 12-step or an AA or an NA. It's going to be much more complicated and it's going to start at home. It's going to start with better parenting, better communities, better whatever. We have to be the fucking change. And if we're not, <laughs> the status quo is our fault. Hey, y'all. Listen, I wanted to tell you about Ketolicious Jerky. Uh, Ketolicious Jerky is jerky made by uh, BJ, friend of the show. I get uh, jerky from her once a month. And <laughs> whenever we get it, it's almost immediately gone. Um, it's really good jerky. The flavors are just on point. Um, the texture is really good. You know, it's it's nice and soft, but not too soft. And it's not, you know, chewy like boot leather. Um, so she's got that dialed in perfect. Um, our kiddos really enjoy it. They will inhale an entire package of jerky in minutes. Uh, our kiddo particularly likes the uh, pizza flavored which is which is really good i enjoy it i think my favorite is still the black pepper but um the pizza's pretty good but she's got a lot of cool different flavors that you might not find everywhere else um like the pizza flavor i just mentioned but she's got a a, a dill pickle flavored jerky which is uh, a bit different but i really enjoyed the the flavor on that it's real it's really good if you like pickles um, so if, if you would like to check it out, uh, go to mailboxmeat.com. Uh, the shipping is free on orders, uh, $60 and up and just tell them that the Agora, the podcast sent you and, uh, we'll get a kickback from that. Um, it's th this, I, I like supporting her cause she's, you know, number one, a friend of the show, but number two, the, the jer jerky is really good. Like I, I enjoy some beef jerky now and then. And hers is, is really good, um, especially when it comes to the texture. The texture is just on point. And um, the flavors are good. And um, also I'm doing, <clears throat> you know, low-sugar, low-carb diet. So 
Um, all of her jerky is uh, low sugar, and uh, she uses clean, uh, locally sourced meat for the jerky. Um, so again, check check out mailboxmeat.com. That's her site. And um, make sure you tell them that Agora the Podcast sent you. And um, I hope you enjoy because I, I really do. I would I would do this even if she wasn't an advertiser because I really enjoy the jerky. So um, check it out. And uh, again, it's mailboxmeat.com. Thanks. Peace. Wow, I enjoyed that rant. That was good. That was a good one. Um, I guess this leads to me, and then we'll uh, I'll let everybody do plugs, and we'll wrap this up. Um, things, a couple things that helped me when I was a lad, um, aside from psychedelics, but the Stoics and Taoism really helped me sort of work through this shit um, quite a bit, especially like understanding like what you had the sphere of control that you could actually manipulate rather than um, allowing like all of reality to weigh down on your emotional state. That, that'll help me a lot. Uh, working hard and being outdoors that helped me a fuck ton. And in some sense I traded doing drugs for being a workaholic. So there is that, but um those were very helpful to me and yes and positivity and honestly having a kid will fucking change your brain real fast um but positive uh circles and people around you that was definitely a big plus um yeah i think that's uh that's those are some of the things i i used to kind of get get through that situation yeah those are all good um excellent uh, ending round. I think everybody has something really cool to um, to contribute. Uh, Gonzo, what you said really struck me, um, and it's crazy that you might actually reduce things to like brain chemistry and stuff, or just like a like a logical sequence of like replacing the the addictive behaviors, whether it's from like the bio the biological and biochemical standpoint, or just like occupying your mind and your time with, with with other actions and other things that are taking your attention away but like that's part of the i'm um, going back to the rat experiment experiment i think that's part of the um the community aspect so you're not just necessarily doing things um so i mean i, I really really uh rewarding because you, you mentioned you know dopamine of course I, I really really like straight up neuro neurologically rewarding and psychologically like rewarding um activity where you're building something making something um repairing something and whatnot can be absolutely can provide you this the kind of hit that will will straight up i mean if you want to reduce it to like brain chemistry provide you with something that very much replaces maybe that like uh, addictive or destructive or just un unwanted behavior because i certainly have my sets of behaviors um i probably didn't mention this in the beginning and, and coping mechanisms for you know stress i just don't have anything that falls right into the besides the cigarettes into the category of addiction but um i think a lot of us regardless of of, of the, what that is can um can like uh, take something from from this advice but uh i mean yeah just the act of 
both uh, communing with others and, and ha building actual relationships with other people and ha having, you know, having all sorts of uh, relationships as, as like, you know, uh, neighbors and like close friends and, you know, uh, romantic relationships and everything. That's, and obviously family um, is super important. And as well, like the act of um, creating, building, accomplishing things. Um, it can be in some cases a job. Jobs can actually be very stressful also. So on that, I don't know. It, it, your mileage may vary on that, but something, whether it's a hobby job or whatever, where um, I think that bore out in a lot of people's stories, that where you're creating, building, accomplishing, that's so um, rewarding in your brain, you know, in your in your neurological system and, in, and with your psyche, that, that can actually give you the, um, that's often what's lacking, I think, with a lot of people when they turn to a substance as a coping mechanism. I mean, I know that sounds overly simple and it's like, well, I just don't not do that. Well, I can tell you, even, even just from my experience in life where I haven't had that experience, um, that it's not that it's not that simple looking back in hindsight but um yeah I, I i think honestly the that that concept of finding something that that stimulates you um gives you that dopamine hit and occupies your mind and takes you away from you know hopelessness and ennui and whatever it is that kind of you absolutely do have to cope with i think is truly very important now i got and of course the other guys suggestions also tie into that but um that's the one that struck me the, the most you got to build that better rat cage man nobody's going to do it for you and we are all dopamine junkies it's that simple uh, yeah building a better rat cage i think that's uh should that be our new tagline to the podcast We're a better <laughs> rat cage <laughs> All right. Um, all right. Last chance. Does anybody else have anything to add before we just do plugs and stuff? Jump in now. Ray, go ahead. Um, I, I don't know. It's kind of like late in the conversation, but I just was thinking about how like treatment centers are kind of like a pipeline to big pharma, whether you're looking for harm reduction or, the, I mean, ch chances are if you end up in one, they're going to put you on some kind of SSRI or antidepressant, you know, and that just kind of like feeds this cycle, you know, today of just depression and anxiety and medicated people, you know, and um, how there, there are other options for that, you know, like listening to some you know, learning about herbs and herbal medicine and ways to treat those symptoms naturally. Um, but also, uh, like, uh, we just really need to fucking end the war on drugs so we can actually have some, like, real conversations with people and break that stigma of that, you know, addicts are homeless people living under a bridge. You know, I mean, I think anybody can relate to having a family member that they love, you know, who struggles and don't look at them like that. You know, there's regular people trying to get help and just trying to make it through the day, you know, I mean, I wanted to be dead. Like I wanted to die. Like I did not want to keep living, you know, the way that I was living and you don't have to live like that. And so I just wanted to, you know, say that there, there is hope out there if you're struggling, you know, there, just find your way. Yeah. Well said, well said. Um, appreciate that. Um, anybody else? 
and yeah, obviously we have and the goddamn war on drugs that's caused more that set us back hundreds of years, I think. Oh, sorry. Jeremiah, go ahead. So essentially the 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 like general thing that I could say in response to that, first off, I have a video coming out soon that I sort of recorded in an emotionally uh weirdly compromised state. Um so it'll be <laughs> it'll be seeing me a little bit ragged there but like it's uh, gonna be a video uh going over a study and some of the potential uh adverse effects of bipolar medication um and some of these bipolar meds are the same things given to other people for depression and things like that and one of the things i go over in the video is the fact that like ssris um have been proven to cause emotional blunting and impaired decision making also impaired like ability to learn things and this is how kids are being raised not just that but like all the all the things that people listed that they were given as psych drugs those are all proven to cause like a cycle of horribility like um it's not all cases some people are genuinely helped by these things but like they just hand them out to basically anyone and basically the, the 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 message should read loud and clear we want you to shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down stop being a problem for us um and you know we're giving you this pill that we think will quote unquote fix you because you're broken or not right and that needs to change because the, the the primary thing that needs to be altered is people need to treat each other fucking better like i said and like you know, uh, not just push everything under the rug, say that maybe the like psychological issues people have are the direct result of the society or hypermedication or abuse or, you know, surviving a disaster, one of the 10,000 disasters that happens a year, like uh, the, the state itself breaking up the family home, throwing people in prison or the military or whatever for the various industrial complexes it has. And now it's, totally not engineered virus with a totally not for profit jab uh that they totally didn't use to muscle in a surveillance state like all this stuff is just compounding to create an environment where things suck and until people are willing to like actually address those root concerns none of this is going to improve and a, a lot of what these drugs are designed to do is just be a different drug they don't care that it emotionally blunts you they don't care that it fucks with your decision making uh, lowers your libido makes you unable to cry they don't give a shit about destroying your human spirit or making you suicidal they don't care they care about their bottom line and whether or not the numbers look good on average for compliance and a lack of sticking out like a thumb. But maybe the society needs people who stick out like a thumb because it's fucked up and the reason people are this way. Just gonna say that. You know, maybe we don't need SSRIs. Maybe we just need compassion. Yeah, I think compassion is crucial here. And these institutions might not give a fuck, but there's people who do, you know, uh, who do have compassion and who do give a fuck. And if these institutions don't work for you, there you will be able to find somebody that that fucking does. Go, go fucking find Drew on Twitter. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And and one more thing, also, just gonna, you know, personally, my best way to like avoid even like a strong desire for those substances has been to get out of my previous space. The one that 
was filling me with all these negative things, emotions, etc. And that's why I'm, you know, four years clean and sober because I don't live in the shithole like everything's dead desert where everything is either dead or wants to kill you. It's rocks and dissolved rocks. There's lots of meth there because nobody wants to live there so you can have like your meth your meth lab in the middle of you know nowheresville and nobody's going to hear an explosion or smell the fumes like there's there's something to be said for just living somewhere hospitable if you can living somewhere that actually reifies your humanity and you know doesn't uh it <laughs> doesn't have like all these hang-ups or isn't isolated and has like a good sense of community or at least things to do like when i when i need an escape i literally just escape i go out my door and i go for a run through the hills the city wherever i want here and my head is immediately better after doing that like Find a, a different way to be. Shift your fucking perspective because the current place you're looking at things from is why you're addicted. That's a good point too. All right, let's do. Let's wrap this up here. Um, I got a skedaddle, but uh, let's do plugs. Uh, Drew, uh, you want to plug uh, your social media in that? Yeah, so uh, my personal uh, Twitter is at LibertyDrew84, and uh, for the harm reduction, it's at ShredTheStigma. Um, if you are curious about harm reduction or you want to start something up out in your area, like I can tell you how we did it. Like, fuck, man, just desire and some duct tape. You can make this shit happen, I promise you. But uh, we need more harm reduction orgs out there. But, uh, yeah, if you need somebody to talk to or anything, just holler. Yeah, thanks, man. Gonzo. I am Gonzo01201 on Twitter. Um, like I said, if if you need somebody like me to talk to, slide in them DMs, baby. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah. You want to plug? Um, I'm like jeremiah harding you can find me and a laundry list of people who hate me for one reason or another usually my negative outlook and the fact that i hold them accountable too um no sacred cows in my uh, in my court basically uh, i do a bunch of conspiracy theories black pilling uh, anti-pedophile stuff and one of the things i preach keely is clean sobriety and health and fitness I also have a Discord server. Um, I also have Jeremiah EXE, which is a backup Twitter I had to use when I was banned for a year and a half for questioning their narratives. I've been on, you know, social media doing this sort of shit for like 14 years now. So, yeah, uh, making people's days worse one day at a time. Ray, you want to plug some stuff? Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at E underscore agorist. And if you want to learn about herbal medicine making or other ways to improve your life, um, you can let's check out our show, uh, which is the Let's Make Some Shit podcast. And um, I am also, my DMs are also open if anybody wants to talk about anything we talked about tonight. Uh, Tet, and then we'll go back to Jeremiah. Yeah, I don't really have anything to plug. 
you want to give out your social media or no? I mean, no, it'll, I'll be, <laughs> why? <laughs> Soon to be banned everywhere. He is yeah, our yeah. favorite nihilist. Yeah. Head. By the time, yeah. By the time you hear this, he will be banned and have another account anyway. So that'll be good. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah. Yeah. I, I also should say, uh, you can find an episode with, uh, Gonzo sack and, uh, like, in general, we uh, do like podcasts at agorisnexus.com. And you can also find uh, two new episodes with uh, Sec and the Misses talking about uh, g- like gardening in general, how to get your life right in terms of sustainability and prepping, what to do with stuff, how to forage with the kids. It's a good conversation set. And then uh, another one, you can check out another episode on this podcast where uh, if you liked my aggressive negativity uh, today, woo, you got a got a solid two hour block of it uh, with that episode. So feel free to go do that if you want to have a worse day. <laughs> no, they were those were all banger episodes that you listed. Uh, I would def- definitely recommend checking all of those out. Um, well, uh, Penguin, do you have anything to add before we wrap? Um, no, we're, uh, you can find me here at this podcast. Um, obviously we're, we're, we have three Twitters. Um, each of us has a personal Twitter and you can obviously find, um, the, uh, podcast Twitter at Agora underscore pod and mine at, um, you just go there and actually click the link or I'm sapient underscore Corvid. Um, but that's pretty much what I do. Um, or you can, or you can hit me up on um, Telegram. My Telegram is on my um, Twitter bio. Well, I want to thank all of you for coming on, and uh, I appreciate y'all sharing your stories. I know that's not easy, you know, and um, I hope that somebody listening to this finds some value in it. Um, and but yeah, everybody, thanks for coming on again, and. Um, Everybody be excellent to each other. Ciao. Peace. Thanks, guys. Yeah, everybody have a good weekend. All right. Thanks.